Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stacking Growth. Uh, my name is Sam Keenly, and today I'm joined by a handful of team members. We've got Ryan, Bob, and Kyle, and today we're going to be doing a deep dive on all things paid search. So, fellas, welcome. Excited to have this uh, brain trust here. Thanks for inviting me. Yep. Yeah. Should be cool. Good so, to kick this off, one of the one of the reasons that I thought it would be interesting to get us all together was we had some questions come up lately, um, just in comments on LinkedIn and other places, but one of them was related to bid strategies in Google Ads, and, and someone was saying, like, should we do performance max? Like, you know, I know we all have certain thoughts around around what happens when you let the Google algorithm do its thing, so um, Kyle, I know you had a few thoughts around just, like, bid strategies in general and, and performance max, so I'd love to hear, like, what what's your take if someone were to say, should I go to performance max right now? How would you approach that? Yeah, I think like a lot of things in Google Ads, the the simplest answer is it depends. Um, I from what I've kind of been hearing and, and reading about in in the PPC community is performance max tends to work better for B two C type clients, a lot of e commerce clients as opposed to B two B. And it also tends to work better when you have a very high volume of conversions. So pretty much my my thoughts on when to use automated conversion-based bidding in general is if you have a lot of conversions and you're giving Google a lot of data, you're likely going to be seeing better results. Um, I wouldn't want to say, hey, you have a fresh account, no conversion data. Should you start with Performance Max immediately? I would be very hesitant because you have no baseline. You have nothing that you're telling Google to use historical data on my account to optimize. Um, I, I'd, I'd rather start with a little bit more control before truly diving headfirst into into automation, especially with Performance Max automating everything across multiple networks within Google Ads. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that's that's interesting within there, uh, I think one of you had shared this during the initial converse, internal conversation we were having about it, was um, you were talking about the quantity of, of uh, like demos or whatever it is, but when you set up a conversion within Google, Google does looks at all conversions equally, more or less, depending on how you set it up. So... That's another thing where I think if you set up the three different conversions, ebook download, demo request, hand raiser, and then like visits, features page, something like that, what would happen if you have all three of those conversions set up in Google Ads and you're running something like Performance Max? Google is going to optimize for conversions unless you're trying to tell Google optimize for a conversion value, like a, like a target ROAS-esque um, and in that case, you even have to go into advanced settings and tie a specific conversion value to each of those different conversion actions. Otherwise, like you said, Sam, it's just if you have a newsletter sign up and a demo request and just a general <clears throat> a general contact without any advanced settings, Google's going to say each of those is weighted equally and I will optimize for conversion for conversion's sake. And I think that's, that's really one of the things with uh, a lot of our clients in the B2B spaces uh, we have to optimize things for down funnel performance, not just in platform performance. And Google, for the most part, default settings is only going to know in platform. All of those conversions are going to be treated equally. Yeah, it's a, that's a big one. People see like, look how low our cost per conversion is. It's like, well, depending on how you set up that conversion, yeah, I could I could make it really low because it could just be a paid visit. So that's a or that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, seriously, oh, yeah. I've gotten I've gotten in arguments with agencies about how much branded search to do. So, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you can get a great return on ad spend and oh, our low cost per click and low low conversion, uh, all that. So it's like, 
but at the same time, it's like, all right, is anybody else bidding on my name? Do I need to bid on my own name? If nobody else is there, why are there? Are you showing up, number one? Like, there's, there's a lot of checks you've got to do first. To, to Kyle's point, if you've got the data to prove that you do or don't need to do something, test it out first. Yeah, so that's a good point on, on some of the branded search stuff. I know it's something that clients will ask, prospects will ask is, you know, branded looks great, should we be doing it? So you, you mentioned a couple different things, like our, com- our competitors bidding on it, where are we showing up organically? Like, What's a short checklist that you run through before you start to say, like, do we need to be investing in this channel, or sorry, in this campaign at all, or like, what's the appropriate amount we should be putting towards it? Like I said, since I threw that out there, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, part of it is more than just your, your single brand name. Like, think of like, all right, what, what do you do? What's your service? What's your product? I mean, type that in. Type in competitors. Type in your brand and reviews. Um, obviously, you want to exclude stuff, people looking for jobs and careers, unless you're, I mean, hiring have, hardcore and need that. But, um, yeah, look at all the different keywords that are going to drive that branded search. I mean, you can use tools like Search Console to, to figure out what kind of branded terms you're already showing up for. Uh, that you may or may not need to uh, to bid on, and then of course, yeah, go go do the search and see if anybody's bidding on your names. A lot of the times, especially in B two B, you're going to have company X Y Z software, um, and especially if it's a specific type of product software or something that, like cybersecurity software. Like, okay, we're company X cybersecurity software. It's like, all right, well, people are probably bidding on cybersecurity software, may or may not be bidding on your brand name. So, I mean, that's where there's differentiation to split out those campaigns and make sure your, your ad techs and the bidding is correct, correct there. Um, ideally, your, your brand campaign should be really tight for that. But look at all those different options. Um, you can figure out what kind of budget you need based off of the keywords. I mean, there's different estimator tools based on the search volumes and everything else out there. But, um, yeah, just do the research first. I mean, yeah, don't rely on Google to, to tell you. Um, do your own research first before setting things up. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, don't let Google do everything for you. Ryan, one thing I'm always curious about is, you know, it's like every time I log into Google, they've got a new recommendation or a suggestion for me. Like when you log in, when you see that on, on all the different accounts that you're working on, what's your what's your thought process when you see those pop up? Like, should we be following those or, or what would your recommendation be? Oh, <clears throat> I usually just dismiss them all and watch my uh, performance score go all the way to the roof. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, so um, it's good to look, right? Um, there's always going to be things popping up constantly. What I see a lot of is connect GA4, get the app for your phone so you can monitor your Google ads from your phone. I don't know if anyone in here has ever looked at Google ads on their phone. Um, I can't. I, I, oh, Bob! Bob! Bob is that guy? He's, he's in Florida Beach on Google Ads on his phone. That's right. <laughs> That's dedication. Um, uh, there are a couple of recommendations um, to think to to look through. Um, one thing that I look through is: Are there any? Um, are they finding any redundant keywords um, or any keywords that are maybe negative uh, here that you have in some campaigns? Sometimes these accounts get really big, really gnarly, and um, Google is pretty good at saying, hey, like, you have this here, you know, do you want to be consistent? Uh, so that's a great one to see. Oftentimes it's asking you to automate your strategy, um, even though that might not be your larger goal. So if Google feels like you have enough conversions to go to a max conversion strategy, it will always tell you to do it, despite the fact you get three conversions a month and you're not even sure of the quality of it. And so you're sitting there thinking, 
you know, how do you, how do you even know to tell me to do that? So I feel Google is very aggressive in trying to push um, its automated strategies when it suits them. Um, and that, that's even before you get into things like bidding and audiences. Um, so one thing I'll also add is, uh, and I see this in a lot of accounts, and I know Bob and Kyle have too, is it'll recommend audiences. Um, recommend garden and you know lawn care. Recommend all these different audiences. You put them in the bucket, and um, you end up having like 50 to 90 audiences um, in your Google Ads account, and you can't really optimize for that. It's super fractured, super segmented, um, and it ends up not helping you at all. So you definitely have to be pretty careful when it comes to applying recommendations um, and also turn your recommendation, your auto-apply off. Um, that is probably step number one before you do any of this. Just make sure auto-apply is off. I think that's a big one that a lot of people overlook when first setting up an account or taking one on. I'm sure that I mean the three of you have seen that almost every account we get the auto-apply is already on, so that's launching new ad variations, it's adding keywords, it's updating budgets, which can quickly derail things in, unless you're in there every day. I know a lot of organizations have you know one person that's trying to run search, trying to run social, trying to come up with their messaging, trying to get an email campaign out, so they don't have the luxury of being in Google Ads every day for hours to understand what changes have gone into play because, like you said, it'll add those you know a new ad or something, and it won't tell you. It's just going to show up in the platform, and unless you see it to catch it, that might uh, throw things for, for a loop a little bit. I definitely agree with Ryan in, in his thoughts on the, the recommendations. I feel like the ones that are the best to kind of look through a little bit more closely are the account-specific ones. The ones that are actually saying, as, as Ryan mentioned, hey, you may have redundant keywords across the account, or you've got a negative keyword that's blocking a keyword you're trying to bid on. Those are the ones that are actually using account data. I feel like the ones that are more wholesale, where it's just and Ryan alluded to this, the ones where it's just say, hey, use target CPA instead or switch to broad match, like convert your keywords to broad match. Those are the ones that are going to exist on every account because Google is, they want you to use broad match. They want you to get more traffic because they want you to increase your ad spend. I feel like the ones that are actually more focused on your account and your structure, those are ones to, to kind of better go through. But complete agreement with Ryan that you should not just outright accept all of the recommendations you should be really analyzing this and saying okay it was a recommendation but let me add the human element to the ai and should i actually apply that like definitely read it more as less as you should do this and more as should you do this here is an opportunity for you to review don't just blindly accept it because it's a recommendation yeah that's a great way to frame it up, and I think that ties in with something that Bob likes to say all the time. So, Bob, what's your what's your quote that you always go to? And yeah, how would you tell it? My go-to quote, you can see it in my LinkedIn profile, is that technology without human intervention is a waste of technology. Um, and I, Google's come a long way uh, from their "Don't be evil" mantra uh, when it was formed. I mean, I forget when they got rid of that, but um, not to say they're intentionally trying to be evil, but I mean, they're trying to make money. I mean, that's where it's, I mean, that's not their, I mean, that's their end goal. They got to make money. So the, the, yeah, switch to broad match, switch your audiences, add more audiences, add more keywords. Um, they want to, they want to spend your money. I mean, they're going to try to make it work for you, drive leads, drive sales, whatever it is. But I mean, when you leave, when you just hand the keys over to them and let them drive, like you don't know what's going on. If you're not, if there isn't a human there at the wheel paying attention to what's going on. 
Um, I was just doing an audit for a client where, I mean, yeah, it was probably a web developer or some engineer like, hey, you, hey, you're in the website. Yeah, you go set up Google Ads for us. We got to, we, we got to do search. Like, okay. So they set it up. It was just all automated. Like, and these automated recommendations were coming in and they kept adding keywords and keywords and keywords. Unfortunately, the only goal they had set up was a, a call link extension. So naturally, Google says, oh, well, you're getting phone calls and that's your goal. So we're going to now 90% of all the traffic was going to mobile and they were getting junk phone calls. And then all these keywords that were getting added were not relevant to what they were doing. And they had in a little over a year, they had added over 20,000 keywords, all broad match. And thankfully, it didn't. I guess if you're ever going to auto apply recommendations, make sure that Google can't change your budget, which I think is a default that Google won't do that because otherwise, yeah, your money could just fly out the window literally. Um, But yeah, with those recommendations, I I mean, I can definitely concur with what Ryan and Kyle said. Like, yeah, they're, they're good to look at for those account based ones that, Hey, might have value. uh, If it is, I mean, yeah, Hey, we see a lot of conversions, maybe uh, switch into a conversion, uh, bidding strategy might help. Well, go double check. I mean, yeah, now get into your CRM and see how valuable those conversions actually are. And I mean, if if the conversions that Google sees are actually turned into sales on your end, then it could be a good strategy to implement. Um, uh, looking for those negatives that are kind of blocking keywords and everything else, making sure that account structure is good. Because um, sometimes, hey, we miss it to, to Ryan's point. These accounts, as they grow and get old, you get ad groups and campaigns all over the place. So it, it can be daunting unless you're using a third-party management tool to kind of figure some of that stuff out, too. And I think yeah. you illustrated a good point, Bob. Um, and Kyle touched on this as well. It's this idea of, especially B2B, where we do a lot of our work, um, the quality of its legs, its days, its weeks, right? A booked demo, maybe it's a day later, two days later, one week later. Um, that gap in time is detrimental to Google's algorithm, right? Um, you know, you talked about the phone calls. Google knows instantly the phone call happened, right? So Google gets that data and they can optimize, optimize, optimize. However, with B2B, book demo, you know, the quality gets put in the CRM a couple days later, a week later, two weeks. Uh, Google can really only see the front end. So Google really has no idea of the quality of these leads. And I remember when we first started talking about this, um, it was a really fortuitous time because I just had somebody turn out a Performance Max campaign, get a dozen leads in like five days, and turned it off instantly. Because as soon as they saw the demo quality scores come in, they knew it was all garbage. Um, and so that's that's the big danger of these automated strategies. Oh, man. It just gives me not anxiety to think about, but I'm very glad that we have people like you that can help educate um, yeah, these things to look out for. I mean, you so, can tie I mean, one thing I was thinking about when we started with the whole performance max, I mean, Google's been trying this for, for, I mean, decades at this point. I mean, they had, I've done a lot of work with uh, small to medium businesses, so their their budgets were small and they were trying to set this stuff up and Google first launched like their smart campaigns, uh, which, yeah, it makes it easy. And Kyle, you probably got a lot of experience with that too, with your background. Yep. But, um, it makes it easy for somebody to just go sign up and start running ads. I mean, you plug in your website and they, they're going to just pull keywords off of your website and, and everything else. But I mean, when you name something a smart campaign and it, it takes away all controls, again, it goes back to 
I mean, yeah, insert the Homer Simpson meme where he's at the controls and reading the manual like he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's where it's like you got to have somebody paying attention to all the different settings that are available and don't just let Google do it for you. <laughs> well, yeah, first there's, there's smart campaigns. Then I remember when I had clients at uh, – <clears throat> when I was at WordStream at my last job – uh, there would be clients who'd have accounts and only had smart campaigns trying to convert them over to regular traditional campaigns. It Google then referred to it as uh, switching to expert mode. Yeah. Uh, just have the actual ability to like manually uh, you know, toggle settings um, and run an, an actual account. Um, now, it, now smart campaigns are done and now it's performance max, like flashy new title. Uh, I think Facebook recently changed, uh, I know today's Google, but Facebook recently changed their audience expansion to Advantage Plus, so they've rebranded their uh, their automation within their platform. So, I think you know just because it's titled something doesn't actually mean that that's what's going to happen. Performance Max isn't going to maximize your performance. It's really just a fancy way to say we're going to automate a lot of stuff and we're going to run it for you. Some good uh, advertising and messaging from them because yeah, it's like you say smart campaign, but you look at it, it's like this isn't a smart campaign. It's just like how automated can it be? So, <laughs> oh man, fun thing. So one other topic that comes up all the time, every person you talk to has their own point of view on it, is quality score. Like, there's so many factors that go into it. Kyle, I know this is something that's near <laughs> and dear to your heart. I'd love to just hear like your thoughts on on quality score in general, things to look for, what you <laughs> recommend. Um, all things along those lines. Yeah, when I, when, I, when I was a consultant in the past, this was a conversation I had probably at least once with every client, and uh, I've written on LinkedIn about it. Quality score, yes, it, it it absolutely plays a part in your ad rank. It's, you know, bid and bidding quality score is how the ad rank is determined, but for the most part, it's more of a vanity metric than any uh, indicator that your account is successful like the all the quality score measures is you have relevance to your to like your keywords and your ads and your landing page but it doesn't actually indicate if you've got good results like a strong quality score does not guarantee a strong click-through rate it does not guarantee a strong conversion rate um and i think a lot of people don't truly know what impacts a quality score, like you can break it down to the three components, but actually looking at what uh, what impacts the the quality score metric and how much it impacts, like you can change your ad, uh, like change your ad copy very quickly and improve your quality score. But because you can do that very quickly, it also has the lowest weight. Like you can go through review the actual like below average, average, above average, and see how your quality score changes. But Ad copy is going to be one thing, but at the same time, you can just keyword stuff your your ad copy, and Google's going to give you an above-average score, even if your ad reads like a robot, if it's not a very engaging ad. But because you wrote it to optimize around the algorithm, it says above-average. Um, so the things in quality score that are going to have the largest impacts are more of the user experience type of issues. Um, landing page experience is going to have a better, uh, a stronger impact on your quality score. So if you're actually trying to improve your page load times or have relevant content when someone searches for your keyword, clicks on your ad, and goes to the landing page, that's going to have a stronger impact on quality score than just writing an ad around an algorithm's best practices. Um, 
and even then, I, I've I've seen ads where non-branded keywords getting eight, ten percent click-through rates, very strong for non-brand, but the expected click-through rate is still really low because Google's historical data says, hey, this keyword typically doesn't perform well. While I'm outperforming it, I still have an expected click-through rate. Um, so I, I'm essentially at the mercy of Google's algorithm, despite my performance, uh, my performance metrics in my account being strong. So to me, with quality score, real results trump expected results 100% of the time. Like the real results that you're seeing should ap- absolutely take precedence over um, over what the quality score says you should be doing. And one thing you said, Kyle, right. ad score is different than quality score. Yes. I know you almost, you're almost implying differently because you can affect your ad score. Like you see that instantaneously when you're changing your ad copy, adding headlines. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big Google recommendation. Oh, put more keywords in your ad headlines. I mean, yeah, Google wants to see that. But then the copy comes out as Google shuffles it around in its responsive manner. It shuffles around and the, the headlines don't really make sense because it's just keyword stuff. So, yeah, that's a mm-hmm. common thing that gets um, con- convoluted there, too, is you have an ad score. Um, which is a part of your total quality score. Uh, again, to Kyle's point, like your keywords, your ad quality, and then your landing page are the main three factors, among other things. So, Kyle, one thing I'm curious about, you touched on the user experience on the page. So what are a couple things, um, you know, you said, like, page load time. Are there other things that people should be looking into to get a sense of how they can improve it, whether it's, like, should they be looking at, like, time on page metrics? Should they be looking at bounce rates? Or, like, what mm-hmm. are those different things that will help someone understand, like, how is the user experience on the page? Yeah, and, and <clears throat> this is something that will help uh, will help the paid efforts. It'll also help the SEO efforts as well. Um, they're tied together, and I think that's where focusing on the user experience is going to be the best course of action because it's having improvements on multiple different efforts. So yeah, I think like what you said, you should be taking a look at the keyword to content relevancy on the, on the landing page. You should be running page speed insights uh, on your landing pages to see how quickly is my site loading on desktop and mobile. Uh, A a new client that we're onboarding, we took a look at their, uh, at their current landing page. Uh, Page speed insights is a zero to 100 rank. <clears throat> their desktop score was like a 70. Their mobile score was like a 19. So like very low. Hey, bud. Um, their mobile score was was like a 19. So there was a lot of opportunity there. Um, your page is loading slow. 40% of your traffic is coming from a mobile, um, a mobile device. Like you definitely can go through and try to speed up your website um, to, you know, make it so your users who are clicking on your ads can actually get to your content that you want them to see more quickly. Um, and then going a step beyond that, looking at Google at Google Analytics, your time on site and your bounce rate are absolutely going to be are absolutely going to be important, um, but misleading because potentially misleading. But there, there's you still want to cut down on your bounce rate, um, and it's even separate from just user experience. Like landing pages, dedicated landing pages, for instance, they're honestly designed to limit off-page navigation. So it, you're going to see high bounce rates there. That's where like you can kind of trade off uh, and do like an A-B test, a dedicated landing page versus sending someone to your main website. See what's performing better. See what's leading to better conversion rates. Um, but yeah, I think anything that you can do to, su- to serve more relevant content and get that content to your users more quickly is going to provide an overall better user experience. 
Okay. There's a lot there. So, no, that's helpful. I think a lot of people, they look at quality store like, well, what do I do to make this better? How can I help it? So I think that was just the masterclass in itself for giving people just like, where do I even go? Where start? So um, really appreciate that. Um, another big topic often comes up, Ryan, I'm really curious to get your thoughts here, is competitor campaigns. Uh, do you recommend them? Should we be running them? When's the right time to run them? So how do you approach that when it's when it's either something that a client is asking you or if it's something that you're you're going and saying we should get started on? Yeah, no, this is a really interesting topic because uh, I really feel like this varies industry by industry. And I think we've all had the experience where um, there's some industries where some companies you've worked with and competitors are converting into customers and you find some where it just, it just doesn't. Um, so um, it's certainly not the first thing you want to do. Um, we really only want to go after competitors um, if it's, one, if you have the budget, um, and this means that you've done the due diligence on your brand, you've done the due diligence on your high intent um, campaigns, and then, you know, does it make sense to, you know, go after these competitors? If you have a lot of competitors, you know, are we only going after tier one or are we going after tier one through tier four? Do we compete on people who do exactly what we do or people who do an aspect of what we do? So there's a lot of little nuances in there. Uh, you're also going to want to check search volumes just to see what the potential is. Um, if all your competitors are getting, you know, 10 searches a month, you know, it, the juice might not be worth the squeeze. So, um, you know, after you kind of evaluate, and then of course you look at your own auction insights and who's bidding on your brand name. You might, you might get a little emotional and want to come back at them and start bidding on them. No, I'm joking. But um, so going after competitors can be worthwhile. Um, oftentimes people are considering multiple services or software for the problem and it's easy to get into consideration set um, by kind of drifting off of someone else's brand. Um, there's some kind of slight nuances to it um, and I'd be curious on Bob and Taylor's thoughts on this as well um, when it comes to generic landing pages versus very you know X versus Y pages. Um, I personally like to do X versus Y if there's enough search volume because I feel like the relevance is very high. Um, but at the same time, people can get a little bit scared off doing X, Y. Hey, am I actually promoting my competitor? Do I want to name my competitor? Um, what if you know I can't compete on every single little aspect against this competitor? Do I really want to create this page? Um, so I'll tee that up for Bob and Kyle. Um, I'll take to see. Yeah, I mean, I can step into in that. Past. I mean, I think oh. with competitor campaigns, I mean, yeah, it boils down to intent. Um, since search, search should be demand capture. I mean, make sure you're focused on the keywords that are demand capture esque. I mean, if somebody's searching for your competitor name login, you don't want to bid on that. I mean, just like your own brand name. So make sure, that, like people that are looking for that competitor reviews, competitor pricing, competitor software. Yeah, you might want to bid on those if there's enough volume because they're shopping that around. They're, they're looking for that service. They're looking at that competitor. So there's the potential to, to steal them or at least get your name out there. Let them know like, hey, check us out too. Um, as far as the landing pages go, yeah, I'm all for it uh, to put the competitor out there, even if you're not the best in every aspect. I mean, be honest. I mean, build trust with that person that's on your page. Let them know like, hey, we do better at X, Y, and Z. Our competitor might be a little lower price, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, we've got a lot more options. Maybe you can customize it more. Maybe you've got more 
you can, I mean, your software can handle more seats or, or has more features. So you can always talk that down. But I mean, if you're honest about it, um, instead of belittling your competition, if I mean, you got to be trustworthy. If, if you just show that you're better in every aspect than your competitors, does that end user actually believe it? Um, those those pages, the comparison pages, can be a double-edged sword if, if you're not fully truthful. So make sure that it is kind of uh, honest in, in your reviews there. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent agreement on that side. Like, if you're if you're doing an X versus Y type of landing page, and you are both cheaper, more features, and uh, everything is better, everything your competitor does is terrible. Like, that comes across as disingenuous and doesn't build trust. Um, if I were to click on an ad, like intentionally looking for um, for a brand, and I get an X versus Y, and it's just focused on we're better than this other competitor, I'm going to be like. Ugh. Maybe not, because it's like they control that messaging. Uh, I had a client uh, in the B2C space who, um, very high volume uh, e-commerce campaign, and they were sending users to to an us versus them, and they were not the least expensive. They were, in fact, one of the, like, the, the two or three most expensive, and they were giving credit. Hey, our competitors, like, these are, these are pluses for their product, but they still were highlighting their own features and why they essentially argued collectively our price and our features are better than buying one of our competitors' products. They had great conversion rates off of that because they they had a lot of trust um, or they were building a lot of trust through that particular landing page. But I do agree agree with with Bob and it all relates to intent. You want to search for someone who isn't just getting every single search related to a competitor. You definitely don't want the, the current customer uh, of the competitor because right now they're just looking to log in. Their intent in their search is not to look for alternatives to their current solution, but when they are, competitor alternatives, competitor reviews, that means they're either in the research phase or they are looking to get out of who they're currently using. But bid on that intent because now you have both context of the competitor and the intent behind that search as well as opposed to just bidding on anything related to competitor. You bring up a really good point there. Um to simplify, usually we see four campaign types. Uh, brand, high intent non-brand, low to mid intent non-brand, and competitor. If you have a limited budget or if you're setting up a new account, how should people think about prioritizing? Like which campaigns should we be launching first or which ones should get the like the highest amount of funding relative to others? Because, I mean, as you say, it could be easy to start a competitor campaign. We've got these five competitors that go run against it, but the intent is different on those than any of the others. So... Um, what would your recommendation be if, if someone were to ask you, like, where should we get started on this? I would say start with brand and high intent non-brand. Um, brand because it is inexpensive. You can easily control the uh, control the messaging and the bids. Um, your quality scores. I know I talked about that earlier. Your quality scores are going to be high, um, and so. It, it protects you from competitors bidding on you. You can do that research and say, oh, there may not actually be a lot of competitors on me. In that case, your bids, your actual cost per click is going to be very inexpensive, but the advantage there is you get to control the messaging. You don't have to worry about long-term, more difficult SEO efforts. You can write an ad, bid on a keyword, and control the messaging exactly how you want to write it, um, and you're protecting yourself from future competitors um, bidding on you if they're not already. Um, so very inexpensive on that side, but I would say... Even then, starting out with like a, a potentially small budget, no more than 15 to 20% should go towards those branded keywords because you're just capturing someone who's already looking for your brand name. You're not, you're not able to, if you put too much towards brand, get, um, 
solution or problem aware users who aren't brand focused just yet. That's where the, the high intent non-brand is going to be the most important for long-term growth because even if someone doesn't convert right now, and honestly, a even a 5% conversion rate is good for, for non-brand keywords, you still have the potential to educate the 95% who don't convert just because they didn't convert at that time. Ryan mentioned it earlier that, um, especially in the B2B space, like users may not convert on day one. It's not as simple as searching for a product and being like, oh, I like this price, I'll buy it. Um, you may have someone who's still doing research. High intent, non-brand, they're solution aware, they're problem aware. Even if they don't convert right now, they still might in you know one, two weeks, two months time when they are ready to buy. Um, so that high intent, non-brand uh, allows you to bid on both something contextual to your product as well as the intent that they are looking for a third-party solution, um, a software platform uh, to solve their needs. So that's going to help drive long-term, long-term growth. Um, and the reason why I would say at least 75 to 80% of the budget should go towards those high-intent non-brand, A, because of the reasons I just mentioned, and B, they are more expensive keywords. So inherently, you need to you need to make sure that they are properly um, properly covered with a with a healthy budget. Yeah, Bob Ryan, thoughts? Um, you know, Kyle pretty much nailed it right there. Um, I think one thing I would caution people against is, you know. Once you move off a brand, it's kind of like, where do we go from here? We have a lot of different ways we think about ourselves. We have a lot of kind of nuancey, um, you know, problems that we solve. Sometimes the, the just just take the first simplest straightforward path. Um, I'll often tell clients like, hey, you know, what are you classified on in G two? Like, what, what are you classified as? Uh, you know, are you uh, a CRM? Like, okay, like, you're going to have to jump into that pool and see if you can compete there. Um, you know, you can go down a lot of different alleyways. You're going to have to be cognizant of um, spreading your budget too thin. I think what happens is they go, we're A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they spend 10 bucks a day. Data comes in very slow. Keywords don't get proven out. And you're kind of caught in this middle of, Hey, is this working? Like I can't, and the data is just not coming in fast enough. So there is something to be said for concentrating your efforts on just a really just, this is what we do. We're going to go after this one. I know there's some terms in the wings we can go after, but we need to prove this one out. And if it's a yes, great. If it's a no, that's also good. A no is also good. Um, Because then you can move that budget um, and start proving out other keywords. So having making sure you're focused on the high intent is very important. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, so I'm glad you brought that up. All right, uh, two more topics. Curious to get everyone's thoughts on here. So um, there's a big difference between Google Analytics audiences and Google Ads audiences. would love to hear um, some of your thoughts around, like, you know, what are those differences? Why are people getting them confused? Um, and any, any other experience or, or recommendations around that? Yeah, I, I, I've had this conversation pretty recently with a with a new client. Um, was doing an audit of their campaigns, and the past agency um, added in in market segments that were B two C focused, um, whereas obviously my client is is in the B two B space. So that is essentially 
it's muddying up the data when you're trying to to match up to a a audience segment that is in market for a software, but also you've got that and you are matching up to the B2C side of things. It just, you don't have the correct audiences. And I think the, the thing that not everyone immediately recognizes is Google ads and Google analytics report on audiences differently. Analytics is going to have data on a user and will assign every attribute. If you've been recently shopping for cars and uh, you are someone who loves coffee and you're someone who uh, travels for travels for work, Google Analytics is going to assign that when you visit the website, all of those different affinity and in, in market segments are going to be reported. Whereas Google Ads, one audience per impression, per click, per conversion. So if you've got too many extraneous audiences that don't make sense, you're just clouding your own data as to the relevant audiences. So to me, someone who if I'm bidding on a, on a type of B2B software, whether someone is a social media enthusiast or travels for business or like reads the news, or if they're looking to, uh, if they're looking to buy clothes, uh, that has no, no bearing on whether or not they're going to buy, uh, a B2B software. So only adding in the relevant audiences. Um, I usually stick to a handful about like eight to 10 in market segments, um, remarketing lists, add those there as well. Um, just add the relevant ones. That way you can see, okay, who has recently been searching for things around um, around this business-related um, business search or who has been on my website and is also typing in my non-branded keywords as opposed to adding in every audience and not letting Google Ads a prop, uh, properly attribute um, an audience segment. Okay. Makes sense. Thank you. That was that was a lot. I know that that's something that people definitely get confused a good bit. So definitely shines a big light there. Um, and final question um, in B two B, you know, we've, we've spoken about bid adjustments and, and other things along those lines. We just spoke a little bit earlier about uh, brand campaigns, high intent non brand campaigns. One thing that I find a lot of people gravitate towards is things like, should we be day parting? Should we be doing device type bid adjustments? Like, what's your experience been with those? Like, are they worth implementing um, given the the approach and how you're setting up the campaigns? Or what's your what's your take on those? And whoever wants to take this, yeah, one, I mean, I'll, I'll jump I'll in first. I, mean, I think that's where I, it comes down to intent. And I was going to jump in earlier with when talking about the high intent keyword campaigns. Like, I mean, you know what that person's searching for, so. Uh, that's what you want to search. That's what you want to show up for. You want those people that are in market, ideally looking for what you have to offer. Um, as far as day partying, I mean, that's really a strategy I implement if you're budget constrained. Um, if your budget can't handle it, then we can look at, all right, well, let's focus on the times that are going to be more beneficial. But I mean, if there's some night owls, especially in the B2B world, that somebody's crunching numbers late at night at two in the morning and they're searching for this service, I want to show up for that because, I mean, especially if they hit that high intent keyword, I mean, that can be valuable. I mean, you can look at analytics data. I mean, a lot of my clients like, yep, yeah, Monday through Friday, high high visitors, and then the weekends it goes down. doesn't mean I don't want my search ads to run just because the overall website traffic's down. Uh, people can still be searching for that. So if they're matching your, their, your keyword intent, then, yeah, they certainly show up for it. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point, and I've seen it 
on a handful of different accounts where I think that's a little bit of the, the old days versus the new when you used to just go after broad keywords, you know, okay, well, people are more likely to be searching their business hours. But again, if you're going after high intent, someone wants cybersecurity software now, like you should show up whether it's 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. Like if that's the need, you know the keyword, you know that it's exactly what you serve for, go for it. So. Yeah, Bob, Bob alluded to it. I think if you have a low impression share and your historical data says you typically convert better between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., okay, you can start restricting your, your ad schedule down from 24 hours to something closer towards those hours. Um, but if you have the budget to run your campaigns 24-7 on your high intent, yeah, I, I agree with Bob. If you can do that, users, when you're bidding on that high intent, they are typing in something contextual and intentful uh, we don't want to miss out on that. Um, on a roundabout from the from the device bit adjustments, I feel like in B2B we typically see stronger conversion rates coming off of desktop, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should bid lower on a mobile device, especially on, on again, those high-intent non-brand. I think, if anything, if you're noticing a low conversion rate on a mobile device, that instead presents an opportunity to... Uh, to reevaluate your mobile website. Like what is the mobile the, the mobile experience when a user is on their phone searching for your high intent keyword and clicks on your ad and goes to your landing page? Uh, do you have the right uh, the right copy of uh, like that's first on screen above the fold? Um, is your mobile site loading quickly? I think that is something where if you're noticing low conversion rates, don't just bid lower in order to, to try to stretch out your budget further or improve your CPA. Um, Fix your mobile experience. See if there's anything else you can do to improve that. Um, because if you put a negative bid adjustment, you're just going to bid less. You may lose ad rank, which is now just going to impact your click-through rate. Whereas you should be evaluating your conversion rate, your on-site performance, as opposed to just, hey, we're not converting as strong. Let's bid less. Like you yeah. said, Kyle, there's so much traffic coming from mobile these days that the the easy route is just to you know turn down bids 100% on mobile. Right, that's the that's the easy one, right? But uh, like you said, page speed. Make sure the content loads in the appropriate way. Um, you know, a lot of times the desktop uh, pages they're filled with you know spinning banners, auto playing videos, um, a lot of really heavy things. So really taking the time to optimize for that mobile experience can one get you a landing page um, that people actually scroll through. You'll be able to see the metrics and analytics. Um, might even have a hot jar on that page and it'll allow you to better compete for, you know, that large share of mobile traffic that is still searching that term that you know you want to bid on and win on. So uh, it's, it's, it's the harder road, but it's the better road. Fully concur there too. I mean, just like responsive search ads in Google, don't rely on the responsiveness of your website builder to just make your page mobile friendly. Um, hire a developer that can actually format the page uh, for mobile and not just rely on whatever responsiveness comes in from, from WordPress or wherever else. I think yeah. uh, one, one last thing with, with the bid adjustments as well. I've noticed on some accounts um, that I've taken on that there are little micro adjustments like a certain hour or a device is like minus 2, minus 4%, even like up to minus 5 it's not really moving the needle. Like if you have a $10 bid and you're dropping it by 2%, oh, you're at $9 and 80 cents, such a lower bid than $10. Like you should be looking at a larger data set. And if there's a significant difference, put a larger bid adjustment. Like 
when I mentioned audience uh, audience targeting before, I will often add to like a remarketing list um, on my search campaigns. I'll bid them up like forty to fifty percent because the historical data says, yeah, they've already got that awareness. They convert better. I want to be extra visible. I want my ad to be very prominent when they search. Um, I'm not going to just go through and be like, oh, yeah, they convert twice as strong, plus 5%. It's not going to move the needle. Those little micro-adjustments are just, they're not going to have large impacts. Look at the wider data set, and if there is a truly statistically significant improvement um, or, or difference on that audience, have a stronger bid adjustment. I usually don't like to, to put less than like a, a plus or minus 15% to start. Then I'll like go up or down from there. But yeah, just... Putting like minus two, minus three, minus four, plus plus five, it doesn't it doesn't really move the needle. Yeah. You definitely got to pay attention. You, definitely got to pay attention to what your average cost per click mm-hmm. is, and then gauge it off of that. Like, yeah, because I mean, yeah, if your yep. cost per click's fifty cents, I mean, a nice B to C, like two percent. Oh, you dropped it a penny. Like, what's that doing? <laughs> so good, so good. All right, well, this has been an absolute masterclass in itself. I mean, I wish I had this when I was getting started in my career. So I'm so glad that y'all could could share your your wisdom here. I'm sure that there will be follow-up questions. Um, Anyone listening or watching, definitely. If you have questions, send them over. Ryan, Bob, Kyle, you all are active on on LinkedIn. I know I see your posts all the time. So uh, you can find find any of them on there. Send us questions. Let us know if there's anything that you want to hear more from these guys about. But um, all three, really appreciate the time. and, And this was fun. We'll have to do it again. Anytime. That's good. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it.